Hello, and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Amy, and I'm here with Brad. Good to be with you, Amy. This is our fourth and final episode on the topic of social justice and the gospel. Now, this was an ambitious topic, but we've had some great discussions. Yes, if nothing else, we've had some really insightful discussions as a staff here in the office around this topic, so I'm thankful for that. As am I. And to recap our discussions thus far, we've talked about practicing for eternity by courageously learning to love those who are different. Then we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and Jesus' emphasis on loving your neighbor as yourself. Then last week, we tried to help bring some balance to the discussion with our guest, Zach. That's right. Zach shared some of the potential pitfalls of emphasizing social justice without being grounded in the teaching of the Bible. I thought this provided some really helpful food for thought in our discussion. Indeed it did. And well, today we are honored to have another guest with us to help wrap up our discussion on social justice. Dave is a pastor of a local church and one of our favorite people. Dave, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. It's really a great opportunity to be in your spacious studio and enjoying time together as we record. Um, I like what you just said about practicing for eternity. Sounds a little bit like Dallas Willard, and uh, yeah, I just find that uh, intriguing and powerful. So good to be here. Great to have you, Dave. Well, Dave, it feels like we've just begun to scratch the surface on this topic, but our primary goal here has been to get our audience thinking about the current discussions happening in our country on things like racial reconciliation and equality and how this relates to the topic of global missions that is near and dear to our hearts. So we would love to hear some of your thoughts on on that today. Before we dive into that, I thought it might be good to hear a little bit of your current involvement in what might be considered social justice or mercy ministries. Tell us some of the ways your church is involved in this. Well, we're by no means experts on any of these topics. Um, We just have been thinking about what does it mean to generally reflect the image of God, the image that we bear, to reflect the image of God in Christ, and to have a ministry that, at least in some ways, looks something like Jesus and his interactions with the poor and powerless uh, during his time here on earth. And so I've been thinking about Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. It says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And I just think that's such an amazing statement, that closer, do to others what you would have them do to you. So in one week, our church is going to host a group of homeless families with children And uh, usually it's single moms with their kids. Sometimes a dad will be in the mix. And those families will come and spend the night in our church building for a week. And they'll eat supper there. And they'll have breakfast. And then some of our church people will drive them to the day center. And while they're at the day center, they'll send their kids to school. And they can work on their own education. They can look for jobs. It's really a dilemma for people who are wrestling with situational homelessness because they have to keep their kids with them at all times, which means they can't work toward their own milestones, um, can't work towards becoming independent. And so this 
program helps them with that as they look for jobs and try and rebuild their life. And we'll do that once a quarter at Westridge. So we get to know some of those families pretty well over the course of a year. And then once a year, our church helps single ladies with a, we have an annual auto maintenance day where we try and work on ladies' cars and kind of get those vehicles in a condition where they can make it through the winter. And what's kind of cool is we see some of the same families, a lot of the same faces that spent the night with us um, previously, and we get to kind of help them and encourage them and work on their cars and talk with them a little bit about God in their life. We have a couple of people who serve lunch every Tuesday and Thursday out at Riverside Park to homeless families, and we'll do coat drives and get some good warm clothes for them for winter. And uh, then we have a small group. This is an interesting ministry. We have a small group that works on houses for families that are in the process of transitioning out of homelessness. And so in all these things, we're just kind of trying to do to others as we would have done to ourselves if we were in the same circumstances. I love it, Dave. What an amazing impact you and your your people are able to have on this community. I'm really curious to hear your opinion about something that I've heard some Christian leaders say regarding social justice, and that's that we need to be in the business of preaching the gospel. Uh, Sometimes you hear we can't get distracted by all these social justice ministries, and I know in saying that I'm oversimplifying it, but I'm sure you're familiar with these arguments. So basically, if we can get people saved, is the thought, then justice will begin to happen through these transformed lives. So what would you say to that? This this question probably deserves an entire podcast session itself. So, uh, but I'll try and condense it down. I guess I don't see immediately how preaching the gospel is in conflict with serving the poor and powerless or maybe what we'd call common grace ministries. It doesn't seem to me that Jesus sensed a conflict between those two dimensions of his own ministry. They, they seem to flow quite well together for him. In fact, I was thinking about this. When John the Baptist was arrested, when he was uh, taken into custody by Herod, John got really concerned. He wanted to make sure that Jesus really was the Messiah. He recognized, John recognized his life was on the line. And then Jesus had this interesting thing that he said. He was speaking to the men who had come to ask John's question, and it says, So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus trained his disciples in both of these areas, both ministry through mercy as well as ministry through the proclamation of the good news, the Euangelion. And so they actually, in his life, they enhanced one another. I've also been thinking about Matthew 10, where Jesus says this amazing statement, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So, to me, the idea that mercy ministry or ministry to the least of these would happen if we just preach the gospel and then let that kind of, you know, common grace ministry, we let that ministry just emerge naturally. I don't know, it doesn't seem too likely that ministry to the least of these will just take care of itself. Um, It seems much more likely to me that new believers, when they are fully trained, will be like their teacher, that they will follow in the footsteps of those who raised them up and disciple them and kind of set the paradigm for what Christian maturity looks like. 
Mm, you make a really good point, Dave. I think another issue we can't ignore, though, is that historically we've seen groups and individuals who have begun to emphasize social gospel, or social justice, excuse me, and, and eventually it seems to affect their theology. They start to either overemphasize parts of the gospel or underemphasize parts of the gospel, and before you know it, you've either watered down or twisted the gospel in some way. In your mind, are we in danger of our theology getting out of whack if we get so heavily involved in social justice causes? I guess I'm not I'm not sure that groups I've been thinking about the premise. I'm not sure that groups who begin to emphasize social justice or mercy ministries, however you want to refer to it, I'm not sure they attend or that they tend to abandon the call for individuals to respond to Jesus and be saved personally. Um Again, it seems to me that Jesus emphasized mercy ministries or, you know, common grace ministry far more than, certainly far more than anyone in our church does. And I thought, I just reflected a little on George Mueller, Amy Carmichael, Annie Armstrong, her strong emphasis on ministry to orphans, David Brainerd, his powerful outreach. Um, yeah, he was kind of a city builder in some ways among Native Americans, and and then there are many, many more who kept the fire for leading people to Christ while at the same time serving the least of these. Now, here's what I do think. I do think that many of our mainline Protestant friends who've abandoned the authority of Scripture and they've abandoned the need to be born again, um, yeah, in some ways, I guess all they have left are good deeds. And so... I think when all you have is mercy ministries, that is very tragic. And I feel like mercy ministries, uh, in combination with what we would call saving grace ministries, the evangelistic mandate, I don't know that they have to unlink from each other automatically. I think they can come together and serve one another in really profound ways. And I think that because Jesus did them both so well. It was almost seamless for him. That's very well said. Uh, I know that there, there seems to be a tendency, too, among some Christians to lump uh, social justice together with other quote-unquote liberal mm -hmm. uh, causes. And perhaps the thinking is, is if you get too immersed into the social justice causes, you're going to fall under the influence of that crowd mm. and maybe begin to compromise on certain issues in the name of political correctness. So what do you think about this concern? I, I don't think, but are you, are you getting liberal on us, Dave? <laughs> it's, it's a great question, and it's a tough question because I think liberal and conservative are defined in different ways depending on who's using the term. And so you, you may have heard the saying that he who defines the terms wins the argument, and so uh, I, I think there's some truth in that. I really like the idea of asking the question, whether or not I'm becoming more biblical as opposed to more conservative or more liberal. I've been memorizing Titus 2, uh, 11 through 14, and I was working on it this morning. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And that last phrase is what catches me. I can't think of anything more Christ-like than eagerness to do what is good. When I come into a situation that I would have this desire to do good wherever and to whoever. And so if that's, I don't know if that's conservative or liberal, but I do think it's biblical. And I think it's, um, I hope it's what I want for my life. And I hope it's what all followers of Christ want for their lives. Mm. That's great, Dave. Um, well, let me just keep the, the barrage of challenging questions yeah. going. Another argument I've heard is that yeah. emphasizing social justice can often cause people to develop a victim mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, Instead of taking responsibility for their own life, they're always blaming others or looking to others to do things for them. Is this another potential pitfall of being involved in social justice ministry? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. And I guess one of the things I've thought of is that it's possible the exact opposite may be true as well, that the fear of enabling people may be a convenient way to excuse not doing anything at all. And that's not intended to be a low blow. Again, I'd just say that Jesus seemed to find a way. He found a way to empower people without enabling them. And I don't know if you guys have read When Helping Hurts, subtitle, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor. It's by Corbett and Fickert, and they now have like three or four different versions of that book with different emphasis in it. But that's their premise of the book. The premise of the book is that if you intend to begin a mercy ministry, or if you intend to engage in common grace ministry, built into the DNA of that work should be this commitment to empowering rather than enabling. And so working hard to figure out how to give people a hand up rather than just a hand out. And again, Jesus was the master at doing this. And I really believe that by following his lead and with helpful authors and helpful materials and ministry models out there, you don't have to fall into the trap of enabling people in the process of helping them. And I also, I, I also feel that in some ways it's really just a question of our honesty, just our internal honesty, whether or not we're using this fear of enabling kind of as an excuse to not do anything. That's really helpful, Dave. Thank you. Uh, To return to our original premise of this series on social justice, Mm Uh, Our typical area of emphasis on this podcast is global missions, and Mm -hmm. we've tried to make the case in previous episodes that these two things are not unrelated. How do you view the connection between global missions and fulfilling the Great Commission and the kinds of ministry activities, helping the homeless, stopping human trafficking, things like that, that you've described earlier? It seems to me that Jesus expected, and I really do think he expected, his kingdom to bring transformation to every corner of the world. You know, this whole idea of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So not talking and not living for um, 
saving faith alone, saving faith that gets us to heaven when we die, but actually transforming faith that causes his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, at least a little bit. And I considered that first church in Acts chapter 4. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's power, God's grace was so powerfully at work among them all that there were no needy persons among them. It's an amazing statement to me. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so, in some ways, you can see the kingdom of God really was arriving on earth as it was in heaven, at least to some degree. But again, it's just, it, it's such a question of our honesty because that kind of commitment is so radical and unthinkable, at least in most of the Western church, that it's, it's really become foreign to us. I actually think it probably exists in more meaningful ways on the mission field than it does, um, at least in our neck of the woods. Yeah, Dave, I think you've hit on, we've hit you with everything we've got. (laughs) Hard hits. And we're so grateful for your thoughtful and thought-provoking answers. Well said. Yeah, Dave, it's it's been wonderful to have this dialogue with you, and we'd love to have you back on the show again. Thank you. I'd, I'd like it. I enjoy your studio and would look forward to be back in here sometime in the future. Well, Dave, would you mind closing our podcast by praying for us and praying for our listeners? Mm -hmm. You bet. Jesus, we remember that one of the things, um, one of the things that was said about you is that you simply went around doing good. And we think of all those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and how they get traction in our world. They get traction with people in very real ways. We think of the long tradition that your kingdom and your people have had with building hospitals and bringing food to the hungry and tending, caring for, loving for, loving the hurting, healing, and just bringing light into the dark world. And in some ways, we at least I, find myself fearful to step into that role. It's so hard to know how to create healthy boundaries. It's so hard to get to the point of willingness where we'll sacrifice what's necessary in order to really see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. But at the same time, we we feel the power of it. We watch it transform people's lives. We see people light up when they recognize that faith in you is connected to a whole new way of living and thinking about our world. And so we ask for that power inside each of us as we move forward, uh, as we love. We pray that we would learn to love well and that we would be practicing for eternity, that we would be preparing um, for whatever form of responsibility you have for us on the other side when you make all things new. And we look forward to that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the One Link Podcast.